Greetings, people of Earth. You have stumbled upon Voluntucky, the podcast that is all about creating a voluntarist world in Kentucky. And when I say Kentucky, I am referring to the geographic location, not the boundaries and territory of a particular set of thugs. Podcasts with a libertarian slash anarcho-capitalist perspective are already very different from other podcasts, but this one will be different even among them, because I am not here as a commercial for voluntarism. I am not here to change your mind or to convince you that voluntarism is the way to go. I am here to speak to those who already understand this. Welcome to episode two, Policing or the Lack Thereof. The history of mankind can be summarized as just repetitions of the same mistakes. It has been a multi-millennial series of the same old story of the bully and the bullied, where one guy oppresses another over and over again until the oppressed rise up and themselves become the bullies. And the reign of the new bully is always accepted as being justified for a while until someone decides they're tired of it and they rise up to be yet another new bully. It's like we finally figure out how to survive stripping the gun away from the mugger, only to begin using the gun to mug the mugger himself and others. Voluntarism is the end to that insanity. It is the idea that a person has no need to conquer others in order to not himself be conquered. It is not revolution, it is evolution. And to do it, a person need only conquer themselves. To wake up to the insane pattern and to be determined to not become the very thing they hate. And most people show no signs of even understanding this to be a problem, much less having the willpower to govern themselves should they ever escape the rule of tyrants. But those who do are never strong enough to resist the tyrants alone, and that is why this show exists. I should point out that when I use the term police or policing from here on, I am using the word how it was intended not how it has come to be understood. I will use policing to describe the action of preventing bullying and oppression and other violations of property rights, and the word police to describe those for whom that prevention is their full-time job. The words police or policing do not describe the acts of bullying. That is the opposite of actual policing, And therefore, anyone who does it is not acting as police. I am not opposed to finding another word entirely to describe the job, but for now, it's the one we have. In a perfect world, there would be no need for policing. And the only way to eliminate the need for policing entirely is to have a world made up entirely of those who are not only capable of self-governance, but passionate about it and proud of their capability. At that point, policing goes away just like every other antiquated idea. But long before the act of policing would go away, the idea of having individuals we call police for whom it was their full-time job will have been long gone. No one has special rights that others don't have. 
So it is not necessary to have police for policing to be done any more than it would be impossible to cut boards and drive nails if carpenters did not exist. Until that perfect day comes, the act of policing against property violations will be necessary. Simply because even the best of men are fallible. There are times when we believe we have rights that we do not have. And when we act upon those beliefs, we commit immoral aggression against others, even if we don't see it that way. If any aspect about mankind were abundantly obvious, it is that humans do not need evidence to convince themselves that something is true. So it makes sense to have some sort of process in place to rectify those immoral aggressions, and that only takes place against the will of an individual. Ideally, the person who committed the immoral act could be convinced to see the act as immoral and would agree to make it right. But what if he cannot be convinced? It's for this reason that it is incredibly important that we have very clear distinctions on when it is okay to aggress upon someone against their will. If there are groups of people who we pretend this right belongs to solely, but no one else, then we have planted the seed and created the framework of tyranny, and it becomes only a matter of time before we have repeated all the same mistakes and we become the very thing we hated all over again. This is always the result when we begin lying to ourselves, because in truth, the right to act against the will of individuals who violate the property of others, that right belongs to everyone. Whether that individual understands the immorality of his actions or just incorrectly believes he is right. So anyone who performs the act of policing better be crystal clear on whether or not he is behaving defensively. Because if it turns out that he is in actuality behaving offensively, he does not have the insulation of a ruling class if it turns out that he is wrong and is being the actual offender. But what does he need insulation from? If he is stronger or has more firepower than the person who he may have aggressed against, then what consequences would he face for being wrong? That is why a community charter is necessary to address the potentiality of such a situation. It is a very thin line that we must walk in order to not become the things we hate and to not repeat the patterns that create tyranny. The reason we have always repeated those patterns is because it is incredibly easier to do. What I propose is difficult. It involves getting your hands dirty and taking on personal risk for the benefit of creating a voluntary world. Since everyone has the right to take action in defense of themselves or anyone else, then everyone has the right to join forces against an aggressor who is stronger than any of them individually. But rights do not create obligations. Just because you have a right to get your hands dirty to prevent aggression does not mean you have any obligation to do so. However, voluntary participation in a charter does create obligations if you wish 
to be allowed to continue to receive any benefits laid out in said charter, such as the benefit of having the entire community at your side should you ever be aggressed against. So when two parties earnestly believe that they are right and the other guy is wrong, which is a logical impossibility, how is a decision made that will ultimately result in one party being acted upon against their will? How is that decision made without creating a new framework for tyranny to take hold? It must be a decision made by the entire group or if the group has become too large for that to be feasible by a significant subset of the group, otherwise known as a jury. Power would never lie in the hands of any individual past one decision. Who decides who is in the subset? No one. The names would be chosen by random lottery and those chosen would be obligated to serve if they wish to continue to be part of the community. It cannot be possible to continue to be part of the community if you are unwilling to fulfill these needed roles. Should you choose not to fulfill the role as described in the charter that you voluntarily signed, you would have to go back to the world of status where they welcome those who wish to be a pawn with no voice. Enforcement would have to be carried out by the same jury. You do not get to decree acts to be taken against the will of others and then give the dirty work to someone else. If you are not willing to participate in those acts, then you should not expect someone else to. A financial incentive that would reduce over-reporting busybodies who are constantly claiming to have been victimized would be if the jurors were each paid a set fee of, say, $100 for their service, and that pay must come from whoever loses the case. So you better be damn sure that 12 rationally thinking adults would agree with you before you register an accusation. I love logic and explaining ideas on paper, but paper protects no one. Ideas protect no one. Human action protects anything that is to be protected. So the lottery-selected jury would address situations that are not imminent. But not every situation can be delayed while we go about the process of selecting a jury and hearing the arguments. Sometimes there is immediate danger that must be addressed to the best of our ability. If people are actively shooting at each other or even, or even threatening to do so, then one or both of them have either passed the point of considering reason or are very near that line. These situations require specialists. We cannot all be experts in handling these situations. Nor would a free market have the demand for a large number of people with that expertise. But until that perfect world that I spoke about a minute ago exists, the demand exists for some people with that particular skill set. Anyone attempting the job who lacks that skill set is very likely to cause more damage than they prevent. It is difficult. It is so difficult that even those who have the skill set would still sometimes cause more damage than they prevent. When you did not witness how an altercation began and likely only have one side of the story, it is impossible to know which party is behaving aggressively and which party is behaving in self-defense. 
you could very easily end up harming someone who is simply defending their own property because you assume they are the aggressor. Government police fail more often than they succeed because they have a distorted definition of success. I'm sorry, if you have to use violence at all, then you have failed at the job of policing because your job is to prevent violence. But that doesn't mean you never use violence. Government police are trained to control situations by escalating problems with a greater show of force while generally ignoring the root of most issues, which is human psychology. The only reason violence should ever be used is because psychology has failed. And yes, sometimes psychology fails because despite your best efforts, humans are not 100% predictable. But modern government police make little or no effort to use psychology at all. So a specialist in crime prevention, not law enforcement, should first and foremost be an expert in human psychology. Odds are that someone using or threatening to use violence is doing so because reasoning with others has failed them. And so they themselves has, have resorted to or are about to resort to force. So why do government police show up and reinforce the notion that that is an acceptable way to do things? Enough about the wrong way to do it. What's the right way? The right way begins with having the proper mindset for the job. If your number one goal is to go home safe to your family at the end of your shift, then go be an accountant or a computer programmer. That cannot be the number one goal of police because it is way out of alignment with the job where putting yourself in a harm's way is part of the job description. The psychological exercise of thinking of the people you encounter as someone's mother or son or cousin or friend isn't enough. Because if you don't respect the life in front of you, you sure as hell aren't going to respect the feelings of some unnamed generic person who isn't in front of you. You must see them as your family, your friend. If your friend's wife called you up and frantically explained to you how your friend was drunk or high and they were waving a gun around threatening to kill her, you wouldn't just show up and blow your friend's brains out and call that a success. No, you would talk to them. You would try to find out the root of the problem. You would seek desperately for some way to understand their situation. And if you fail, then odds are you're going to end up with one or more people dead. If you succeed by distorted government police standards, then odds are you are going to wind up with one or more people dead. It's the same outcome. They just label it differently. Police should be held to a higher standard than the rest of the public instead of the lower standards that they're held to now. If a police uses violence, then they should have a hell of a lot more explaining to do than someone who uses violence who is not police because police are supposed to be the specialists. If you hired someone to build you a table who had never built a table, you wouldn't expect them to do as good a job as someone who claims to be a professional furniture builder. 
you should be able to expect a better outcome from a specialist than someone who does not specialize in that field. And that problem is fixed with accountability. Remember, police have no more rights than anyone else. They would be subject to the same rules and accountability measures as everyone else. But their claim as specialists would probably invoke harsher punishment from juries than would be expected of those who do not claim to have expertise in addressing crime. Especially if those juries are made up of voluntarists who do not worship police as deities like statists do. Anyone who wishes to be part of Voluntucky will understand that they are their own first line of defense. But there are times when an individual could be facing problems that exceed their ability to handle them. Policing is not private security. That is a different business model. They are not there to protect you so that you no longer have to worry about protecting yourself at all. If you want to hire private personal security for that purpose, then you would be free to do that. It's a personal habit of mine to begin with the worst case scenario and then work backward to try to prevent that scenario from happening. Because if you have a contingency for that worst case, then all the rest of your questions can be answered. The scenarios I describe here would be made extremely unlikely by having a clear definition of property rights and how discrepancies will be addressed in the charter. No one goes in blind. If you do not want a truly voluntary, voluntary world, or if you disagree with how discrepancies should be addressed, then the charter would not appeal to you at all. That's fine. It will not appeal to most people. But voluntarists are not most people. The quantity of people is irrelevant if the quality of the people is ignored. This quality is our main line of defense against all of the worst case scenarios that I have covered and will continue to cover. Also, it should be understood that once the charter is complete, it will not change. There will be no process under which it could be changed. That would require legislation, which requires legislators, and we all know where that ends up. So it is very important that the charter be very simple and very well thought out and easy to understand. So this is what policing should look like in a voluntarist world. But how would police be paid? Since no one can be forced to pay for services they do not want, this could happen in a few different ways. Much of this would be the decision of the policing firms themselves. Yes, I said firms, plural. It would be a business that provides a service just like any other business. So if someone believes they have a better way to do things, then they are free to enter the marketplace. Multiple policing firms would serve to prevent power from being concentrated as it is now and creating a petri dish for corruption. And the very nature of competition drives prices down and quality up because the free market works every time you use it. They could charge one-time fees for services rendered or they could charge monthly or annual premiums that would cover any number or all of the services they offer. And they would, of course, have the right to refuse service to those who are not their clients. So what prevents 
all of these firms from joining forces to rule the people by force. Ultimately, nothing, really. If that happens, then the worst case scenario is that we wind up with what we have now, which is one police force that pretty much does whatever the hell they want. But a voluntarist friend of mine named Jake McCauley, whom I hope to interview on the show in the near future on the subject of the role insurance would play in a free society, he had a pretty good suggestion that will probably find its way into the charter. It was this. An agreement could be signed by the owners of any policing firm wishing to be part of Voluntucky that would obligate all remaining firms to join forces to shut down any individual firm who decides to violate the property rights of the community. Those who voluntarily choose to participate in this agreement would be much more likely to be hired by those in the community. Those who do not wish to participate in that agreement would have a hard time finding a market share. This would incentivize those firms to immediately fire anyone accused of property violations. I believe there is always a free market answer. And when you believe that as firmly as I do, those answers seem to appear. When you draw a line in the sand and simply refuse to violate the property of others or to allow your property to be violated by others, then finding those answers becomes a mission because it is, it's now a moral imperative. Status solutions are simply intellectual laziness. It's a willingness to accept poor results that come easily rather than putting work into creating spectacular results. Now, what about those things that government police generally occupy their time with because of the lack of actual crime that leaves them twiddling their thumbs? I'm talking about those things that aren't actual crime but do create potentially hazardous situations where property damage could occur if not addressed. The majority of this has to do with traffic violations, such as speeding or a busted turn signal. In these cases, no damage has been done and may never actually happen. So is the solution to do actual damage to the potential offender in the form of a traffic ticket enforced by threat of actual violence? This is a deterrent to those actions, but that doesn't mean it is moral. You could shoot your dog to keep him from peeing in the house, and he will absolutely never pee in the house again. But just because the end goal is achieved doesn't make the method you use to achieve it right. Also, we should ask ourselves whether or not it's smart to give police the ability to profit from the fact that some people may have put others in danger. Whether we want to admit it or not, the world runs on incentives. If you're incentivized to address these issues, then wouldn't you actually want more of these issues to exist? And if you couldn't find them, wouldn't it behoove you to try to create them or even to lie and pretend that they happened when they didn't? As the saying goes, when your only tool is a hammer, then everything begins to look like a nail. Police should be rewarded if no hazardous situations can be found. But, I bet you're asking, wouldn't this incentivize them to ignore those situations? Yes, it would. Unless those in the community were also on the lookout for these issues. 
and their monthly premiums for policing services were discounted for identifying them before police do. Then the officer's pay would be negatively impacted by ignoring them. So he would be incentivized to be the first to spot those problems. I told you this involves getting your hands dirty, but it also involves being incentivized to do so. Now suppose the officer discovers one of these potentially harmful situations. What can he do to address it? What does he have the right to do? Well, what would you have the right to do? Because those are the same rights that he has. You obviously do not have a right to extort money from the person. But you do have a right to attempt to speak to the person creating the potentially harmful situation and ask them to correct it. You also have a right to let the world know if this person is an asshole who refuses to self-correct. You can ask them for ID, but they do not have to provide it. But they cannot refuse to allow you to capture images of them in pictures or video unless they're in, inside their home or somewhere where they have a valid expectation of privacy. They can be easily identified from these images with technology. Again, technology gives us options that did not exist in the past. If the person is identified, their name can be added to an online list. We could call it the asshole list. Their name could stay on the list until they verify to the person that put them on the list that they have corrected the problem and that person could delete their name. At this point, whether the person is professional police or a community member doing the work of policing doesn't matter. The level of asshole that they qualify for could be assigned based on the seriousness of the violation and could increase the longer they ignore the problem. Refusing to remove the name of the person that you are accusing of a level 1 accusation could get your name put on a level 2 asshole list. The name of the accuser would necessarily be listed as the accuser and excessive reporting by an individual could also create an automatic listing of themselves as an asshole. More serious offenses could start higher up the list than others. Again, this would be for anything that could potentially cause damage to property or reputation of others, not for actual damages that have already taken place. Those situations would be addressed by the jury process. The person has a right to cover their face to try to prevent their image from being captured. You do not have the right to force them to allow you to see their face. But having to use technology to identify someone who refuses to identify themselves could start them out higher up the list. There are no guarantees that this process works every time. But life soon becomes very difficult for anyone who perpetually creates potentially hazardous situations for others. But why would life be difficult? What if there are people who just simply don't care if they're on the list? That's fine. But if that list existed and you were in the position to hire employees, would you not check to see if they were on it? Maybe you're fine with hiring a level 1 or 2 asshole, but would you hire a level 8 or 9? This person has a strong history of not caring whether those around them are endangered by their actions or lack thereof. If you were hiring a private contractor to do a job, 
would you check to see if they were on the list? If you were dating or had a new love interest, would you check? Now, what if you were looking up the name of someone and you found out that they accidentally ran a stop sign and nearly caused an accident, but they stopped when the person they nearly ran into motioned for them to stop or, or even pulled over immediately and readily identified themselves and apologized profusely? Maybe they still end up on the level one asshole list for a day or two, and maybe that is justified purely on their inattention. But would you look at this person in a different light? This is a person who acknowledges when they make a mistake and attempts to correct it. I can't explain enough how technology gives us opportunities that didn't exist to us in the past to have a fair and just world and effectively makes the entire notion of government obsolete. We are literally at a point in history where an app can be created that replaces 95% of what government police do. This could have been done before the technology existed, but it would have been drastically more complicated and would have depended upon there being no unfair biases among the humans who were inputting the information. But computer algorithms only have the biases that we create them to have. They do not care if your brother-in-law is a prominent local businessman, or whether you yourself are for that matter. The actual application has yet to be created, and odds are that when it is, it will not look exactly like what I have described here. But it will be created. And then someone will create an even better one that corrects the flaws in the first. Again, I will ask you to send me your constructive ideas on how to address crime or any other potential issue you could see arising with Voluntucky. And again, I will say that if you just want to tell me why the idea of an entirely voluntary world with no government won't work, save it. I will not respond. Thanks again for listening. And I'll talk to you again real soon.